Well, all right, thank you for being here for week three, four, or whatever it is. I think it's our third study. A couple of quick things that I thought about uh, last week after we left, just, uh, just kind of want to tweak uh, just real quickly. Uh, one of them, as I was talking to the guy that, uh, remember there was a, uh, a woman that I saw that uh, said she wasn't sure if the guy, if her fiance was going uh, to be faithful uh, to her, uh, that he had been married five times and they were living together. And so anyway, and one of the things that I said to him or in, in response, he said, well, you, you're questioning my salvation. And I made the statement, um, exactly what I wrote in here, which no, I'm just sharing God's word with you. There is a time, and, and I think we just have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, to, to kind of uh, ask questions, just to kind of prod a little bit, to, um, you know, to, to soft sell something. That's not how I want to say that. But just to kind of, uh, you know, not be blunt and hard. Um, and then there's a time to do that. And so this was one where I just felt like, no, I don't need to tell him, yes, I am. I just need to let the Spirit of God and the Word of God do that. And so I think that's just a, a totally subjective thing where we have to allow the Spirit of God to guide us, and none of us get it right 100% of the time. Uh, but I think that's, that's just part of it. In case you wondered, um, do we... Because I have heard people say counseling is more just asking questions. And, and I don't agree with that because that's not... Jesus asked a whole lot of questions, a whole lot of questions. But he said some very uh, firm, cutting things also. So it's just wisdom to know exactly what do we do there. Uh, the second thing was about somebody asked me a question after it was all over about can a saved person have sin in their life and be a believer? Part of that came from the uh, verse out of 1 John, 1 John 2, 3 and 4. I totally got them all jumbled up last week, but uh, uh, verse 3, 1 John 2 says, By this we know that we have come to know him, because we keep his commandments. He who says that I have come to know him and yet does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in it. So that seems to say, hey, if you just know Jesus, you're going to obey the truth. And then you'll look over at a passage like 2 Corinthians 10, uh, starting about verse 3, the weapons of our warfare uh, are not carnal, but mighty through God to the tearing down of strongholds. And we are destroying speculation, every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And so it's very clear that Christians can have strongholds in their life, just where they are bound up uh, by sin and by Satan and are not walking uh, and living in the truth. So how does all of that work? It's a little bit of a mystery. I want to recommend a, a good book. It's by Donald Whitney, a professor at Southern Seminary who's spoken here once or twice 
uh, I know he's preached here and then he's done some other things here about how can I be sure I'm a Christian? Now, it's, uh, it's extremely scriptural. It's about 160 pages, but it, and it's not a light read, but at the same time, knowing you're saved and helping others really get a firm assurance on that is very, very important. So I just want to recommend that to you. I can remember I gave that over a period of like two or three weeks uh, when I was in biblical counseling to two men that were both living immoral lives, and one of them read it and came to the conviction that he was saved. Uh, another guy read it, came to the conviction that he was lost uh, and prayed to receive Christ. So I thought it's a neat thing where it's not just slanted one way or the other, but it's just putting it, um, putting it out there. Let me just kind of say again about part of what we are trying to do here I know we haven't gotten real specific about talking about marriage and anger and discouragement and all those other kind of things, and we're going to get there. Uh, but it's just setting a foundation, laying that foundation of knowing how do we do this. Um, if you were looking to uh, uh, verses in the New Testament that just have several verses that talk about marriage, what might be uh, one of those books? Talks about husbands and wives and all of that. What might that be? Ephesians. Ephesians. It's Ephesians chapter 5. However, before uh, you have three chapters of doctrine in Ephesians before you get to the three chapters of duty. So in other words, if you just start talking uh, to someone, saying, okay, I'm going to just turn to Ephesians 5, and you're saying, well, husbands, you need to love your wives, and wives submit to your husbands and all that, that's true. But sometimes if you just jump in there, uh, you, you are miss. It's like trying to build a house without a foundation. Um, you know, you guess you can kind of do it, but it's probably not going to last and be what it needs to be. So knowing a little bit about, okay, what are we trying to do? Where are we going? How do we get there? Again, that's kind of what we are doing. I want to encourage you again in all of this saying, you can do this. Uh, I know there's probably times that stuff I talk about saying, you know, that I, I was in my office and somebody had an appointment and, and all of those kind of things. And that's not, in all probability, that's not how your counseling with people is going to work. Uh, yours is going to be somebody coming up to you, you know, in a, in a life group, in a discipleship group, uh, whatever, saying, hey, I got something. Will you, will you pray for me about this? Um, somebody will come up and say, you know, I got a question. I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to get a handle on this. Um, you know, you, you're not going to have an office. You, you, you're probably not going to have an hour just right there. It's going to be much more um, casual. Um, but at the same time, 
for most of those people, you're going to be in a huge place of advantage because you know them, or if you don't know them, they at least know you because they are coming up to ask you questions. Uh, again, it could be that. It's on a phone call. Maybe it's just seeing somebody. I saw somebody the other day, and, uh, and, and I asked them, you know, how you doing today? Um, there was somebody here at church, and they said, doing good. <laughs> I said, I heard the words, but your face is saying something else. And he said, well, yeah, to tell you the truth. And, um, and we had a real good conversation. So it's, um, and not all conversations necessarily turn into counseling conversations, but some of them do. There are opportunities, but boy, and I'm just going to say something I hadn't even planned on. That whole thing um, that we looked at in, uh, in, in Isaiah about the Lord has given me the tongue of a disciple that I might know how to sustain a weary one with a word. The Lord awakens me morning by morning uh, that I might listen as a disciple. Says something like that. Um, there are opportunities, but you've got to get in the word and you've got to pray and you've got to be prayed up uh, or you'll miss them. And then sometimes I think even if you're in the word and prayed up, if you don't watch it, uh, you can miss them. I get up and I, I get in the Word and I pray and then I walk. As I said, I've never fallen asleep uh, praying and walking. Uh, it's never happened. But uh, anyway, I was out walking and praying and I passed by some guy. It was early in the morning, but it's daylight. I don't know, 6.37, something like that. Maybe 7.15. And um, he was some type of home repair, whatever. He parked a car or truck out on the street and... Um, put the cones out there. He was putting the cones out as I walked by. And uh, I said, hey, how you doing? He said, doing good. It's another great day in paradise. And I said, yeah. And I walked right, right past him. And then the Lord just said, today, I will be with you. Where? I went, in paradise. And then I took a couple of more steps. I thought, I need to go back and pause for another second or two and then turned around and the guy was already in his truck doing something. And I thought, you know, I, I guess I could have gone back then, but I thought God gave me an opportunity uh, to say something. And with that's just a witnessing opportunity and not a counseling thing, but anyway, an opportunity. And I missed it. Uh, I, I caught it, but I missed that opportunity. So just encourage you, some of the whole counseling stuff, and then especially being comfortable sharing the gospel, if that's not there, it's real easy just to uh, yeah, and walk away or miss that opportunity. Most of the whole counseling stuff is not necessarily about what we know but just being willing to run to the battle. Like David, facing Goliath, got everybody else there hooping and hollering about the battle. Goliath came out, I think, for 40 days, and everybody hooped and hollered for the battle and went back to where they were. And David came, and David ran to the battle. So um, anyway, um, and I just want to tell you again, 
when I served in biblical counseling, we never knew who was going to walk in the door. We had no clue what the problem was. Um, and there were some major, major, major issues that we dealt with. Uh, but it was always just, okay, Lord, I want to be as prepared as I can. I'm looking to you for wisdom. Um, Lord, and even in the midst sometime of talking and, and whatever about a situation, I can remember several times just coming to a place and saying, I'm not sure exactly what to say. I said, um, I've got several thoughts running around in my mind. Can we just bow our heads and pray right now and just say, Lord, give wisdom. I never had anybody say, no, I don't want to do that. Um, you know, so again, it's, it's not polished. The stuff that we're, that we're talking about, it's, it's not polished. It's not professional. It is you knowing the Word of God. There are really three things that we learned in uh, Romans 15. Um, what were those? Do you remember? Where Paul said, I myself am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, just being who God's made us to be, filled with all knowledge. We're in the Word. Doesn't mean we have all knowledge, but we're, we're learning and we're growing. And we are, since our attorney has got us on a roll here, do what? Able. Able, competent, dynamic. There's a spiritual thing there uh, to counsel, to admonish one another. So, okay. One of the challenges that biblical counselors face, I would just say counselors, but we're coming at it very much, very much, totally from a biblical point of view, is helping people understand where they stand with God. In other words, you have to help them. You have to help define what the real issues are. People will come in, and they've got all kinds of other issues, and then you're going, no, that's not really the issue. The issue is something else. And therefore, you know, uh, you have to help them know what the issues are. And if the house is on fire, unless I took that slide out, uh, anyway, if the, I've got something in here. Where is it? Where is it? What did I say? Um, if the house is on fire, don't worry about turning the television off. People come to you and they've, they've got an issue. There's something that's going on in their life. And most of the time, it's going to be pain. Most of the time, it's pressure. It is discomfort. It is frustration. Can be guilt can be despair, uh, addictions, all of those kind of things. And that's the thing that's just staring them in the face. And what you are trying to do, you know, they're, they're concerned about the, turning off the TV and you're trying to help them realize the TV is not the issue, okay? There's really another issue. We talked about that, first of all, as far as with salvation, shared with you that, uh, that illustration that I used about uh, the crack in the wall and making sure that you have a solid foundation. Most of the things that when I, when I use illustrations, they're word pictures, just because that's how my brain works. 
Uh, Jamie Fish, who oversees our biblical counseling thing, he's great in drawing. He's always, you know, talking to people. Hey, let me kind of, he'll get a scratch pad out and whatever. He'll, tie, he'll draw something. Whatever works for you is what you need to use, um, you know, to, to communicate and then especially to, to, to help people who are talking to you about one issue. You know, my wife, I tell you what, we're just fussing and fighting and all those kind of things. Second Corinthians, I think it's 2.14, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness unto him. Neither can he understand them because they're spiritually discerned. First thing you have to do is try to help to see, is this person saved or are they not? And I know I've repeated that, but that's so essential. It's kind of like if you go to see a doctor and you've got a cough and then the doctor finds out in the midst of all these tests that you've got cancer. And if he's just treating you for the cough and not treating you for the cancer, then that doctor has failed you. He may help clear, clear your cough up, but if he leaves you untreated with cancer, then he has failed you. So when we're talking to people, it's being sensitive. Okay, you got this cough thing, and that's why you came and talked to me. But as we're talking and just kind of exploring and doing things, and I'm saying, hey, tell me about your relationship with the Lord, and it's just blank, shallow. I got baptized when I was seven years old and, you know, whatever. Then you're just thinking, I don't know if this person really knows Christ. And so again, the illustration that I used, you're welcome to do it. One of the amazing things, as you are out there ministering to people, and I, I could call names in here of people I know that have experienced it, is that God will give you wisdom. God will bring things to mind. God will, God will give pictures. God will do all kinds of things that he's not given to you right now because you don't need them, you know? You don't need something like that right now. But when you're out there counseling with somebody, when you're trying to help them grapple with that and, okay, Lord, I don't know if they're saved or not and how do we get to that, um, that's where God will, will give you wisdom. Um, okay, turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2. Verse 13, and as I sent out the email today, this is a verse that I have, I, I know I used more than any other verse except maybe sharing the gospel in the times that I was counseling. Now, you've already got it. It's at the top of the page and all that other kind of stuff, so you, you maybe have read it when we sat down. When I'm talking with somebody, a lot of times I said, I, I want to share a verse of scripture with you. Most of the time, I'll just quote it. Uh, we may look at it or I may say, hey, you know, I'll point it out or anyway, I'll say more about that in a minute. But I'll say this. There's a verse in the Old Testament, it's in the book of Jeremiah, where God said, for my people have committed two evils. And I will ask them, what do you think those evils might be. 
And what are the common answers for that? This is where you participate. What are, what are the answers? What, what will people say? Do what? Idolatry. You got another three-syllable word? I think it's adultery. Adultery. It's four syllables, I guess. Of course, we're in Tennessee. We could get six or seven. If you're in Alabama, you could make that about nine syllables. But anyway, uh, um, what else? This is not that complicated. Jeff, what else might they say? I'll pick on Jeff back there. Disobedience, lying, cheating, on and on and on. People will say those kind of things. But I'll go on and say, God says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewn, they have dug for themselves cisterns which cannot hold water. I said, first of all, that God presents himself as not just a fountain of living water. I am the fountain of living waters. If you want life, if you want satisfaction, if you want refreshment, if you want uh, uh, and water is a picture in the Bible of, of eternal life and life worth living and fullness of life and all of that. God says, that comes from me and me alone. But sometimes we don't want to be that dependent upon the Lord. And so we will go and dig a cistern. Did you ever dig a cistern? Have you dug cisterns? I know you kind of grew up in Mississippi and those kind of things. Or, um... Not the way you're describing Okay. I have dug a Digging a cistern, especially for people in, in, in Israel, would mean digging a, uh, a hole in rocks. Over there, just in, I mean, it's just, it's just a big, huge rock bed. So you got to, you know, I don't know what you call it. It's not a pick and shovel. You got to pick. You got a uh, thing that you hit with a, a, a hammer and all that kind of stuff to dig, to, to some of them were man-made. Some of them were, uh, you know, started out as some way. And then people got in there and tried to make it digger, uh, deeper. Uh, but it's not fresh water. It, it is... You know, it's old, and after a little while, uh, stagnant, you know, things blowing in there. Um, and none of those things, you know, they're, they're, they're all porous. Uh, and, and so, therefore, the water leaks. And then many times, even in the making of them, they would get cracks in there. So God says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewn for themselves, dug for themselves, cisterns that don't hold water. What are things that people can turn to for life other than God himself? Don? Yeah. They're good people. I, I always do people right. I, I even had a lady say I deserved it. I 
Well, that's, that, is, that is without a doubt a, uh, you know, uh, a thing that, that people can turn to as far as trying to earn or to obtain that relationship with the Lord. But for people who, um, what are some other, I'll say things, people, places, or things that people can turn to for life other than the Lord? Money. Oh, without a doubt, you know, somebody's, it's some money that they have in the, uh, the bank, the stock market is what they've, uh, whatever, a job. What else? Family. Family. Wow. Okay. Boy, we're really getting somewhere now. All of a sudden, this husband, this wife, these kids, you know, that God has given to me, and yes, he has, that I I am looking to them for, for satisfaction, for life, for, uh, you know, to, to help deal with the loneliness, the despair, the insecurities uh, that I have. And now my wife is not as sensitive to me as I feel like that she should be. And so I'm, I've been looking to her. I've been looking to my kids. I've poured my life into my kids. And now all of a sudden, you know, they've moved away. They're not as grateful. They're going to the in-laws for Christmas this year instead of coming, you know, to my house. Um, church can be a sister, you know. I've got church and all these people, you know, and I'm, the, I'm their Sunday school teacher. And you know, I don't tell people this, but it's kind of fun to stand up here. It's fulfilling. I don't think about it or talk about it a whole lot, but everybody's looking to me. I'm the answer man. People looking for guidance and strength. The boy, somebody that knows how to pray, they look to me. But now people have been leaving my class, and they've been going to another class over here. And, you know, he doesn't even dress right or whatever, you know, it wants to be. Um, you know, talks too loud, uses a different translation of the Bible, whatever it is. Uh, it's, it's all of those things. It's family. It is job. It is, it is health. It is, um, it is, you know, it's alcohol. You know, boy, I've been, you know, I have my beer every night and, you know, all is fine. Now I'm having more, uh, trying to fill up that emptiness is inside. Uh, it, it is, you know, the, I, I had a good friend, and boy, he and I were just hung out, and now he's died, he's moved. I'm lonely. On and on, anything and everything can be a cistern. I have known... Uh, and God says, these people, my people have committed two evils, and these are horrible actions. Um, I had known these verses for ages, for probably decades. And I was sitting in my office in biblical counseling when it was down, basically kind of where Debbie Campbell's office is, is now. That's where my office was. Yeah, that didn't mean anything to you, but... Uh, had a lady that came in, talked, had a word of prayer, and I said, how can we help today? She just burst into tears, and she made this statement. She said, my husband 
has forsaken me for another woman. And I went, I didn't go, wow. But in my mind and in my heart, I went, wow. That's what God is saying. Forsaking the fountain of living waters is spiritual adultery. Now, let that sink in. You know, Ron? Yeah. And who you trying to please, your flesh or the Lord? So it's really simple in that sense, except when you put the emotions in there. It's all about self pride, self focus. I think it's, I, I don't disagree with that. I think it's, it's even more not only who am I trying to please, who, who am I experiencing, who is, who is pleasing me? Yes. Is it, am I satisfied in Jesus? And so all of a sudden, when she said that, uh, you know, that that's the word for, for spiritual adultery. Forsaking God, and write this down. I know it's taken me a little while to get there, but I was really trying to paint this picture. Forsaking God is, in essence, saying, God, you are not enough to satisfy my soul. I need someone or something else. And this is like a husband or a wife, bold-faced, brazenly, brazenly telling their spouse, I know you care. I know you love me. But you are not enough. Now let those words sink in. You are not enough. And as I talk to husbands and, and wives, and as I would talk to couples, um, I would try to be very blunt, very, um, I won't go into all of that here, but I would say, you know, um, when somebody just says, if your spouse were to say to you, you know, I know you love me and I know that you're committed to me. But you're not enough for me. You don't satisfy me. If a husband were to say to his wife, you're just not enough for me. You're not pretty enough. You're not smart enough. You're not funny enough. You are not and especially when you're counseling with people, you can fill in those blanks pretty specifically, and I think you probably know what I'm talking about. Um, that's the issue, is that when you are talking to people, realizing, I know that you've come and you're, we're talking about your husband, your wife, your kids, your boss, uh, the people at church, uh, you know, you're trying to, to handle addictions and, and all of these types of things. But the real issue is, on a scale of 1 to 10, how satisfied are you in your soul simply with the living God himself? Does he satisfy you? 
and let them respond. Well, yes, he, he does. Well, tell me about that. You know? How does he do that? How do you know that he does? Share with me how your soul is satisfied in God alone. I know your husband's being kind of a jerk, okay? I know your wife is being whatever. I know your kids are ungrateful. I hear all of that, and we want to talk about that. But the greatest issue right here, those are cisterns. Those are things, people in places that you are, you know, kind of looking for life for, but the Lord himself is the fountain of living water. So how satisfied are you in the living God himself? The whole thing about, um, uh, about God, about, uh, about forsaking him, the whole spiritual adultery is, but we keep coming back to him uh, and saying, if that's not bad enough, people want to continue to use God for their selfish purposes. In other words, it's kind of like a husband and wife, okay? You've got, you got a husband just telling his wife, listen, you know, you're just not enough for me. You don't satisfy me. So I, I, I've got this woman over here. Now listen, I, I want to come by and, and I want to still keep living here with you because you kind of help me take care of everything and we keep everything respectable. And, you know, I'd like to have a physical relationship with you every once in a while. It's not quite like it is over here, you know, but, uh, but, but I'd like to do that. And, and you kind of help me, you know, with all of these things. And I'm saying all that, and you're going, you know, do what? But that's what we do with God. And that's why he said, my people have committed an evil. They have forsaken me. They are committing spiritual adultery. They keep coming to me. Say, oh, Lord, but, but, but I want to pray about this. Oh, Lord, I got this need here. And, uh, and all of these things we keep coming and asking, but we don't realize what is actually going on. The next thing, just fill this in, I want to encourage you, is one of the things that we need to seek to, to show people is that is the pain their actions cause. The pain their actions cause. And you say the, the, the pain to who? Turn in your Bibles to uh, Ezekiel. Go, whoa, how did we get to Ezekiel? Ezekiel chapter 6, verse 9. And I was in biblical counseling. I'd read the Bible many times before, but I'd never seen this verse. And it really kind of came because of seeing about spiritual adultery and all these other things. And when I saw it, I went, wow. Ezekiel 6, 9 says, and this is God speaking. And then those of you who escape will remember me among the nations to which they will be carried away and how I have been hurt by their adulterous hearts which turned away from me and by their eyes which played the harlot after their idols. A cistern is an idol. It's something I am looking to. I've dug it over here. I worked hard. I got my education. I saved my money. I made a name for myself. I've got the money in the bank. I've worked hard to get all of this. And now I'm threatened. 
And their hearts will loathe themselves in their own sight for the evils which they have committed and for all of their abominations. The, uh, the NLT, the New Living Translation and New American Standard translate uh, it as hurt. Uh, the English Standard Version translates it as broken. Uh, the Holman Christian Standard and the King James translates it as crushed. The NIV as grieved. It's an emotional, it is a big uh, shattered word. And, and that's what God is saying. He said, I, when I read that, I thought, God, how, how, how does that happen? And I can't explain it. But when we are, are not finding our overwhelm, I can't, I'm not saying you can't be satisfied, you know, and having a good job or kids or grandkids or health or money in the bank, all that kind of stuff. That's great and praise God for it as all of that is there. But none of that will satisfy and none is meant to satisfy like God himself sitting at his feet in his word, praying, worshiping, serving. Uh, that's where life is. And if I'm not experiencing that in him, then in his words, see how I have been hurt, shattered, wounded, crushed by their adulterous hearts. Does that make sense? I hope it does. Uh, again, to try to communicate with people uh, as they are coming in, trying to explain this, to say, you know, I've got this big problem. And you saying, no, you've got a problem. and want to help with that. But it's not, it's not the real problem that you have. I tried to share... I've, share an illustration. I shared it countless times when I was in biblical counseling, especially, especially with marriage issues. It fits with all kinds. You're welcome. You can kind of, I think you could use it and tweak it. And you could say, well, I heard, I heard a counselor say one time, but anyway, you want to come up with another one, whatever works for you. It's kind of like, as I had a couple uh, uh, to come in for counseling, uh, had an appointment canceled, and these people got here 30 minutes early, but I had some other things that I needed to do. So I saw the couple that I was supposed to see. I'd never seen them before, but they had checked in, and the secretary said, "You're the people you're seeing are here. And then also look out there, and I see a um, um, uh, woman, yeah, kind of dressed a little bit, you know, uh, inappropriate, but whatever, for church, just kind of, okay, that's, uh, I haven't seen somebody quite dressed like that. Uh, boyfriend, uh, I knew what they were there for. They were seeing somebody else, some premarital type thing, just a, a dashing kind of a looking guy. So as I'm there, the, um, the, um, who slips out first? The, um, uh, the husband slips out. The husband uh, slips out. He has to take a phone call. The seductive woman, dressed in a seductive way, she steps out to um, go to the bathroom or whatever, I guess. And so it's the wife and the single guy. 
And so the wife and the single guy are just kind of real there close, you know, talking. And all of a sudden, you know, I can just tell by body language and all this kind of stuff. And she's patting him on the shoulder and her husband is just out, you know, in the hallway or whatever, patting him on the shoulder and they're talking and just carrying on. And then after, you know, just a, a few minutes, she's kind of looking around and she gets the thing out of her purse and writes something down and then just kind of puts it in his hand, holds his hand way too long for all of that. And then husband comes back in and the, the seductive woman come in. The husband gets up to leave. He's got a, uh, no, he doesn't leave. It's um, the, uh, uh, the wife leaves and the, uh, the single guy leave. So now you have the husband and the seductive woman. So you got their, them there. And the, the woman is wearing something just very low cut and she keeps getting something out of her purse. And the husband is just sitting there just staring every time she, you know, leans over. And, um, and finally, about the third or fourth time as she bends over and he's just staring a hole in her, she looks up, catches him looking and smiles. Uh, and he smiles back and says something. I don't know what it is. And about that time, the other people come in and I say, hey, y'all come on back here. Come on back here, husband and wife, and uh, introduce myself. And we talk and I say, how can we help? And he says, we're here because we're having trouble. Uh, we disagree over our budget and, and how we're disciplining the kids. That's why you're here? Yeah. I said, and ma'am, why are you here? She said, that's right. <laughs> I said, no. <laughs> that is really, that's why you say you are here, but I don't know if you know it or not. But we've got another problem that's a whole lot bigger than that. And that is, your relationship with God and your relationship with one another. I don't know if you can ever use that, want to use it, whatever. It is trying to communicate to people as they are talking to you to say the greatest issue you have is are you finding life and satisfaction in Jesus Christ? alone. Um, biblical counselors uh, will seek to lead people that are in those types of situations to repentance, helping them see that the foundational issue is not their husband or their wife, but their unfaithfulness to God. That's the issue. Um, Another passage about a, a believer's sacred relationship with Christ. I'm going to pause right there. Questions, comments, observations about all of this. I'm just wondering, did that communicate? I look at Rosemary and she's chuckling about something. Can I ask what it is? Yes, yes. But I did remember what you said, that 
and there's problems. She thinks that there are problems that are causing this real problem. Right. But anyway, so it did help a lot. Oh, that's awesome. And that's what it is. It's, it's things like that. Somebody sends you an email. There's somebody in class that you are talking to. Um, one of the things that I've said about discipleship groups, our, our, our discipleship groups basically there's a threefold thing. We want to help people mature. We want to equip them to multiply. But the other thing that we have to do in there is to minister to other people. It's, and, by, and by minister just means serving, connecting with. Uh, I, I could I, not pick on Ron, but use Ron as an example. If, and Ron does a great job with this. But if there are guys in, in Ron's life group where Ron is trying to, to, to get a discipleship group started or, or, or whatever, another, yeah, he can get up and make an announcement, and that's good. But the thing that's really going to, to help do that is as you, as you're the one doing that, are connected to people, that you know people, you listen to people. You know, John shared about a prayer request you know, last week, and when you see him this Sunday in Life Proof, you ask him, man, how's, how's that thing going? I prayed for you last week. Now, maybe you don't tell him, I, I prayed for you once. I didn't pray for you every day, but I prayed for you. It's connecting. And then as you do that, that's where opportunities to minister come from. Uh, not only try to get somebody in the discipleship group, but as you're talking to Ron, I mean, to John, you know, over a period of time, John is talking to you, said, you know, Ron, I tell you what, I just, you know, marriage and kids and all this kind of stuff and on and on. It's an opportunity to minister. And that's why we're here. You know, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. And once they're saved, it's our responsibility to, 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 to nurture and again to, to help them mature and then and to multiply. Um, but knowing it's not just what they've said that's the issue, but there are, are deeper issues there that we pray for wisdom. We're dealing with this. We're dealing with the cough, but we found out they have cancer. The doctor did, so we are addressing that. Another verse, another passage about a believer's sacred relationship with Christ. 2 Corinthians 11, 2-3. Paul writes, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed, the NIV says, promised you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I am afraid, He's writing to this church trying to communicate what he's hoping God uses him uh, as God uses him in their lives. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, that your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. The will of God is spiritual faithfulness and commitment to God. There is no one or no thing that is worthy to sit upon the throne of your heart but Jesus. Um, and you know, that's the whole thing about, 
you know, about marriage. I mean, you can have folks, and boy, they, you know, fuss and fight about how much money do we save. Yeah, I'm sure there were folks going home last Sunday trying to, okay, sermon on tithing. Uh, well, all they want is, you know, that's all churches are for. No, honey, I think we need to start tithing. Why? Well, you can do it. I'm not, you know, there's all kinds of fussing and fighting and things that people can go and, you know, where we're going to spend the holidays and how to discipline the kids and, and, and on and on and on and on and on and on and on. But most of the time, marriages will last through that. But what is probably apart from arguing about money, uh, what is the big thing that, uh, that shatters marriages? Adultery, you know, where there is unfaithfulness. And what Paul is communicating in all of this is saying, you know, there is one focus above everything else that really, you know, this is what we're aiming for. And that is a purity of devotion to Jesus. And I would tell people all the time when they would come in for counseling, you know, and what it's the marriage is counseling is the easiest one, just as far as coming to mind. Say, ma'am, your husband's not the issue. Sir, your wife is not the issue. There are needs. Yeah, you've been kind of mean to him and she's been mean to her, you and all this kind of stuff. But the issue is Jesus. Is Jesus going to sit upon the Lord as Lord of your life? Are you going to seek to please Him? Or are you going to do what you want to do? Great thing. I encourage you to write this down. I just thought of it. Linda Glantz, who served in biblical counseling for ages, uh, used to make this statement. There are only two choices on the shelf. Pleasing God or pleasing self. There are only two choices on the shelf. You got two cans. There are only two choices. Pleasing God or pleasing self. Lots of issues will produce a strain on a marriage relationship, but there's one thing that breaks it up and nothing compares to that and that is unfaithfulness. Believers are to know that no matter what the trial or temptation, nothing is to draw them away from their single-minded devotion to Christ. And David Tripp says this, and I'll close. He said, if I'm married to Christ, the core of my present life is not personal happiness, but spiritual purity. Like any other marriage, the big issue is my fidelity. Will I remain faithful to Jesus or will I seek fulfillment elsewhere? Spiritual purity, single-minded devotion, and obedience figure more prominently because of my marriage to Christ, whether good or difficult things happen to me, my attention must remain riveted to Jesus. So, questions. I feel like I've thrown a whole lot of stuff out here, and this is heavy as can be and, and, and whatever. So um, 
talk to me. We got just, I got one more thing to say and it'll take me 30 seconds. Yes, great. Let's see if Vera says if we can go back to one slide. Is that it? Yeah. Will I remain faithful to Jesus or will I seek fulfillment elsewhere? And again, that goes back to the whole, will I drink from the fountain of living water or, you know, am I going to try to find fulfillment elsewhere? Nothing wrong with all of that stuff as long as I'm not trying to find my life in that. Because if I'm trying to find my life in my job, my kids, my marriage, uh, my health, uh, uh, anything else, the church, uh, you know, all of those things, none of those things were designed. God himself is the fountain. And if I'm not looking to him, then I'm committing spiritual adultery and um, trying to find life not in him, but in somebody or something else. Yes, ma'am. Thank you very much. I'm sorry, when they share when they share what? Yeah. Now, that's issue, but it's a relationship with God. So how do you, like, I'm just curious if you can know, like, how do they, like, what are their responses? Um, you know, it's different. You have some people, I mean, it's kind of like sharing the gospel. There are some people, they hear the gospel, and they just, wow, okay, yeah, I need to be saved. You share this with some people, and, um, you know, they, um, you know, they just kind of take it with a grain of salt. People who are really hurting, um, pain is a tremendous motivator. And so somebody who's hurting, somebody who's in a marriage, so you've got a friend who's, you know, talking to you and they're, I'll just say they're married, so, you know, I'm just, and then she starts crying. And you're saying, what's the matter? You know, I'm just, you know, we got married and I thought it just could, but if I had it to do all over again, you know, I don't, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'd marry him or not. You know, I'm just, that's where he is. And it's not like at that point in time, you just say, well, listen, you got to find your satisfaction in Jesus and, you know, whatever. You, you don't do that, but you say, well, tell me what's, what, what's going on. Can I ask? I don't, but you know, if it, the, people are crying for help. And if they're asking you, then they're looking for somebody to offer some hope, some light, some wisdom, something or another. And then she tells you, well, you know, he just works so much and, you know, all of this other kind of stuff. And then, you know, you try to do, I'm just going to, I'm making up something. So is this a woman you know very well or not for our counseling purposes? I, you, you can tell me whatever. You know her pretty well? Yeah. Uh, 
Do we know if she's a Christian? I'm going to say no from what you just said. Uh, you know, at that point in time to say, you know, I, I, I understand some of that. I, I don't know if you're married or not, but, you know, I'm married and this and that. And, uh, you know, my husband is, you know, he's, he's a really good guy and all these things. But I know that he can't fulfill the deepest needs of my heart. And, you know, I, I, I don't know if I've ever shared this with you before, and then you share your testimony about, uh, you know, you, whatever it is, and you came to know Christ, and Jesus lives in your heart, and you've never been alone since you have met him. And you just say, I, I'm just, I've never asked you, do you know the Lord? Uh, and if she says no, you try to go through the gospel and help her to, you know, realize Christ. And if she is saved, you know, to say, hey, listen, I'm going to be praying for you and you can offer some things and some advice. A lot of the times, too, it's, you know, the counseling thing, it's not just a one-time, you know, here you go, this is it, God bless you, go in peace. It's something that happens over a period of time to where you are trying to offer encouragement, hope, and light, you know, with the marriage situation, um, and praying, checking up, sending a text, hey, I'm, I'm praying for you about what we talked about, uh, picked up a book at church, would be glad, I'd love to give it to you, it's really encouraged me, you know, it's just building that relationship. Does that make sense? All right. Anybody else? Going once, going twice. I, I encourage you to think about that verse. Uh, and, and I will tell you, your homework. I always gave homework uh, when I was counseling people. Um, well, I still do whenever I'm doing that. Kind of like going to physical therapy or going to whatever it is. It's not just, you know, okay, now just go and do nothing. You've got some work to do. Uh, what I, I, this was a verse that I encourage people to memorize probably as much or more than anything else. Um, and again, asking questions, you know, to say on that first time as we're talking, if we can get to it. We can't always get to uh, things. Kind of like somebody comes in, you go see a doctor, you've got a bad cough, does some x-rays and things. Uh, you know, and then calls you back, says, hey, need you to come back in. I'm giving you this cough medicine. We took some x-rays. You know, I'm concerned about something that I see here. Um, you know, he's continuing to deal with the cough, but he is, is now also focused on the cancer. But it doesn't mean that all of a sudden, you know, when you show back up to your general practitioner, you know, that he's going to start chemo that week or anything. It takes a while. But hopefully he is following up on you in that process along the way.